Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Cleefe. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here with Bailey Parnell, the founder and CEO of Skills Camp. Bailey was also named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. She's a TEDx speaker with over a million views. I'm really excited to talk about the TEDx talk, too, uh, on social media. I'm not going to give away too much. Uh, Bailey's a businesswoman and has a talent for helping people develop skills they need to be successful. That's what Skills Camp is all about. So thanks all for doing this, Bailey. Really appreciate you being here. Of course, I'm happy to be here. And I like to talk about this stuff too, so it should be fun. <laughs> I, was, I was actually watching your, your TEDx talk. I know we spoke about this before we started, but you really did highlight a lot of the challenges with social. I'm kind of curious, and this was about two years ago, so I'm kind of curious to see what, from, from the things you've highlighted, like what sort of things you still hold on to today, but what do you see has changed within that two-year time, time span? Well, I'm glad that you asked that because one of my main focuses now is, like you mentioned, that TED Talk was maybe over two years ago now, and it was more explicitly focused on, you know, what's happening out there that's making people stressed out? What are, what even is a highlight reel? What even is social currency and kind of explaining this, um, these phenomena? And there was a bit at the end about what we do from now, um, from here on out, but now fast forward two years and my work is more more focused on where do we go from here and so i would say honestly though that not much has changed you still have um, wild wild social currency you still have highlight reels in fact the comparison is stronger than ever you still have things like influencers you still have anxiety depression (laughs) harassment fomo so None of that's really changed. Um, you might have heard of some recent changes where social media companies are starting to to step up and address things like that social currency or even policy. But um, mm-hmm. I'd say a lot of it uh, hasn't really changed. And I still have to do a lot of work educating people about what's even going on out there. I'd say maybe less so with youth. Youth tend to understand a little bit more about what a highlight reel is. but I mean, youth is only part of my work. I work also with parents and I've even done people in government. I've even done grandparents. And so there's still a lot of education about what this risky behavior even is. Yeah, I mean, Instagram recently came out with a report saying, uh, I think they're going to try it on Canada first where they're going to remove the like count. So the person posting can see the like, but but people externally can't. Uh, What do you think of that? Like, is that the right way? And is it actually going to answer any of those problems we're just talking about right now? Yeah, so it's funny because whenever something happens like this, where Instagram is deciding to remove the public like account, um, simultaneously the views on my TED Talk will go up, but I will also start getting a flood of messages from media that want to talk about it. And and I actually am very much in support of the removing of the public like account because so that public like account is what we in the TED Talk what we called that social currency. It's it's something we use to attribute value 
to ourselves in this case and, and out in the world, it's something we use to attribute value to a good or service. And really that public like count is, is causing a lot of comparison. And when I started my master's and my research in this space, I actually thought that I would find a more explicit correlation between simply time on social media and rising levels of anxiety and depression. But I was wrong. What I actually found was that there was no consistency. And what I continue to find is that um, some people found nope, this is not relevant. We don't see anything here. Some people found, yep, there's an issue. And some people even found the opposite, that time on social media improved the mental health of their participants. So that wasn't the key. What was the key was actually the mediator in between. So things like comparison, envy, feeling lonely, but most especially those coming from comparison. And so you might've heard the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And really, that's actually what's going on. That's actually the cause of the declining mental health. It's just correlated with time on social. So so if you remove the public like account, then you are removing um, one of those those most most prominent comparative metrics, and especially for youth. And I'm glad to see that a lot of the response that I've seen from you know the youth that I work with, or even in like comments on these articles, have been positive. Like I, I was, someone came up to me and said like that, oh, they already feel better because um, you know they use Instagram used to be so creative, and now they just post and they don't want to post because they only get ten likes and it makes them feel bad. Or youth, I'm I was actually just reading a study yesterday where the youth who were interviewed in the study were saying things like, um, you know, I think especially young women saying, I think that, uh, you know, you have these standards of beauty and I look at other people's and they have so many likes and followers. And that must mean that people think they're prettier. That must mean people think that they're cooler. And so it, it, it is kind of working into their psyche. And if you can remove that, I think it is a step in the right direction, a small step, but it takes a lot of small steps to make a big change. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, I do agree. I think I think it is maybe the, the, the right approach, especially given what is happening. I mean, given the context of how the, the platform also evolved. I mean, it went from like being a you know a digital diary of your pictures to then video to then highlight reels to then highlights to then IG live and like the list goes on, right? And now it's it's really like a storytelling platform, much like what LinkedIn is doing. Um I, I think to, to your point, like go ahead. And I was just saying, it's funny because the only group that I saw that was kind of maybe upset or concerned about this removing of the likes was really just influencers and advertisers. And I understand that that's how some people make their money. Not everyone's an influencer, but you are still going to see your like account. Like you're still going to see your engagement. And if you're a good influencer who's also a business person, then like I know them and I know they're doing it well, then you're going to take this information and package it to an advertiser. I also don't think that the needs of the few influencers outweigh the mental health of the many. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And also, I, I think we're uh, like the, 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 the term influencer has been very loosely defined now. You know, if it's like if you have if you have 10K followers or more, you're, you're an influencer all of a sudden. Or if you have the the verification badge, that's all of a sudden you're credible. I mean, it's funny how millennials are using, including myself, by the way, I'm 25. Uh, but it's funny how they're using these these metrics as a way to to judge someone's credibility. You know, it's like, oh man, look, he has 20 or she has 20k followers. Like that must mean she's something. You know, like yeah, it's just interesting how that's happened. 
yeah, like that's absolutely right. The thing is that um, is not different than it was offline. Part of my research, kind of a subsection when I was going through my master's was um, looking into influence and the historical trends of influence. So what makes people influential offline historically, even before social media existed? And then how is that being translated to something like Instagram? And so something like a credibility badge is absolutely makes sense why that would because you would be influenced offline. For example, in your intro today on this very podcast, you mentioned things about me that you felt would make me more credible or to to whoever's listening. So that's not new. Yeah. It's of course all, nothing really is new that's happening on social media, even all the mental health stuff. It's just being hyper accentuated and hyper amplified. Yeah, well, that's actually what I wanted to ask you, because I, I usually always say, and especially when things like Tinder came out, I mean, for the first mm -hmm. time, right, where it, it also really changed the dynamic of dating uh, online, mm -hmm. specifically. Uh, but a lot of people were hating on social uh, shortly after that, right? I mean, the focus was on IG, Snapchat, and like, is it safe and all this stuff. And I, I, I just kind of thought, I'm like, really, I mean, we're driving these tools. So the question that yeah. is it the tools who are highlighting the human behavior, or is it the human behavior that just became more transparent given the platforms that we're using? That's really the question that I'm having a difficulty answering. You're asking a classic question of sociology, which is, is it social determinism? Is it people that choose how to use the technology or is it technological determinism? Is it the tech that changes how, how people move and function? I myself am more of a social determinist. I think that, of course, it goes in, it's kind of like a circle that moves. You know, social media comes, we have this tool that was maybe intended to do, to connect certain um, certain people, but then then people choose to use it in a certain way, and that becomes kind of intertwined with then what the tool becomes. People are making the tool, though. People are writing the code for the tool. People are putting out the messages. Even when I talk about all of those hateful things that um, came up in the TED Talk, even when I talk about social currency, when I talk about highlight reels, we're talking about people posting and people interpreting. We're talking about people harassing and like people hating, um, people who are addicted. We're talking about offline skills like um, lack of self-confidence or low self-esteem. We're talking about lack of resilience, not able to bounce back after, um, and lack of self-awareness, lack of time management. Like we're all, we're still talking about people issues. If you really, if you really go deep into it. Yeah, that's no, very true. And uh, like with this backlash, and then I guess the maybe the. The negativity that people talk about on Instagram, I haven't been seeing it as much personally because I think yeah. just the things that I I choose to follow or unfollow are usually things that are more positive. You know, whether it's travel pages, quotes yeah. like Jay Shetty is a, is a great example of someone I enjoy following. I remember yeah. talking to Hamza and he said like he experiences that more on Twitter. He's like, dude, I've been off on on Twitter for a while. Like I had to go and clean things up. Uh, which which social accounts do you see more of the negativity being spiraled around? Yeah, it depends what kind of negativity you're talking about. So, for example, you it sounds like you like those travel accounts. I also really like those travel accounts. They give me motivation. They show me places that I haven't been, all this sort of stuff. But I can also point you to people where they would look at those travel accounts and their reaction would be, well, why can't I travel? How come I don't have enough money to travel? How come my work doesn't give me enough vacation days? How come when I have to take vacation days, it's not to travel, it's to clean up the house or something like that. And so like, I think your reaction is actually very key to the solution to this, which is create for one, creating a, an online space mm -hmm. that actually improves your well-being instead of, um, you know, 
diminishing it right. or and um and so that was actually part of my initial curiosity was because I was having a good time on these social networks. So why wasn't everybody else? That was part of my initial um, you know, investigation. And I think, though, the kind of negativity that people are often referring to are things like harassment, traumatic imagery. And that does come up a lot on Twitter, um, whereas Instagram, I think, is more known for that you know, the visuals of life, like the, how do I make something look good and and certainly the most popular there, whereas Twitter, the absolute most popular is news sharing. Instagram, the absolute most popular is lifestyle, fitness, health, beauty, fashion, um, all this stuff. So you can see that the harm there usually has more to do with things like self-confidence, um, certainly addiction, um, and, and, and the harm on Twitter can, be, can look a little bit different, uh, harassment, that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, one thing, and I'll, I'll raise this to you, but one thing I've done personally, uh, and, and I'm not a math, like I haven't mastered these tools personally yet. You know, I, I have the same kind of conflicts that everybody probably listening has. Uh, but I think one thing for me that has worked, whether it's on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever it is that I'm sharing on, if I don't feel like sharing, like personally, you know that sometimes like you'll really want to share something on your story, could be a caption, a quote, an event, whatever. But sometimes when I really don't feel like it, I just don't share. Yeah. I think I, I caught myself at times feeling like I have to share something to be a part of the circle, yeah. uh, especially because I kind of I was consistent and like, you know, I wanted to be like the daily kind of sharing. Then I'm like, dude, look, like this is just a, a platform. If this becomes kind of like too routine for you, it's going to end up spiraling into that kind of negative portion that I didn't want it to be in. Right. I don't know if you felt that way, but, but you know, I've definitely kind of faced that yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. And I think what you were noticing in yourself which is great. And that's what I'm saying is it sounds like you have the offline skills that are the most important, which is one, even recognizing the fact that you were, I don't like this, <laughs> like even recognizing that, like saying I'm spending too much time. This feels like work. This is frustrating me is a level of self-awareness that I promise you not everyone has. And I double promise you that not every teenager has. So that is like absolutely the first step. That's the first soft skill you need to build, which is that self-awareness is, do you even know what stresses you out? Because how can I possibly create a life with as little stress if I don't even really know what's stressing me out? And for you, it might be like, if you're a really busy person, it might be the wasting the time that's making you so frustrated. If you're a person with really low self-esteem, then it might be the constant comparison that's frustrating you and you can actually there's two different solutions for those so I found that um, I don't necessarily post all the time but I do but I do kind of have um, I come from like a media marketing background so I think I have the eye for what makes um, a good update but but I kind of post I'm, I'm very much of the I'll post it when I want to post it <laughs> so I could yeah. be at something and I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like leave a meeting or disappear for 10 minutes trying to post something. Sometimes this is just as much as like, okay, I've taken the snap and then I'll just like post it later because for me, it's about the, the story um, and not necessarily about, you know, it happening in real time. Look at me right now. And yeah. even still, my last video must be from like a week ago or something. I don't know. I don't even remember. 
Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I checked out your Instagram, uh, and, and I, on one of the pictures, I mean, I kind of do that as well. Like in the caption, you kind of write more of a story about the picture itself if you're posting a picture. But it was, I think, you on a beach, and you're kind of talking about how the old Bailey wouldn't have posted this because of maybe the yeah. imagery itself, and, and now you're kind of much more comfortable yeah. in that in that zone. Um, I faced something, especially like uh, I was training for a marathon recently, mm -hmm. uh, and I was because it was so public. Like I was trying to, you know, document my experience, mm -hmm. and I was training so hard for the for the marathon. It was my first one. I didn't have much time to train. I ended up uh, injuring my knee, and so okay. like the, the the day of the event, I couldn't run. And um, I shared basically like a video of me doing my first twenty k, but saying like I wasn't able to do it. And I was I was really really dreading the moment when I had to do that. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, look, like all you do if, if all you do is share things that are working. You know, and you made this point on your TEDx talk. It's like that is the highlight reel, mm -hmm. but that's not the truth. You, you were referring to a friend who was yeah. lying on a beach, you know, be right back nap. But you knew that day to day, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's not lying on a, on a fucking beach all day. Like she yeah. has stresses like everybody. She has ups and downs. So I think that's also important. Just being kind of real uh, when you can. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the funny thing is that what I found in other people's research and what was confirmed in my own research is that when you actually talk to people and they'll have a dialogue that sounds something like this. I know it's fake. I know it's edited. I know it's the highlight reel, but I still compare. So the funny thing is we almost have like this um, in, uh, you know, one of my favorite books, thinking fast and slow. We have like this system one thinking and this system two thinking one that's more emotional, got reactions. And then one that's more thought out, logical, reasonable. And the funny thing is that even in this comparison that we do all the time, um, we're, even if your logical, reasonable self has said, I know this is not real. I know that this is one trip that's been spread out to three weeks worth of posts, yet we still compare. And that's dangerous because the, the that sort of system one gut reaction still impacts some um, sort of brain functioning, self, um, like life satisfaction, this sort of stuff. And so it's, it, it goes beyond just being reasonable to actually trying to almost brain train yourself to build up that true, true self-esteem in yourself so that no matter what you see online or offline, it doesn't affect you that way. I, I want to say, though, that this social comparison is also not new. There's a theory that I reference a lot in my work called social comparison theory. And it's the idea that people gain their self, their sense of self, their identity through comparison. And that's not that that's not always a bad thing. So it could be as simple as I'm tall. I know that I must be tall because I look at everyone else around me and they're shorter. Therefore, I'm tall. So it's like also understanding things like, are you funny? What are your personality characteristics by means of comparison? So that's not new. We, we have always engaged in that. There is upward, neutral and downward comparisons. So pretty, pretty fundamentally you know, looking, imagine just like looking up at someone for something and viewing yourself as lower, viewing yourself mm -hmm. as above or viewing yourself as neutral and even neutral, um, but especially upward comparisons are definitely more linked with the decline in self-esteem. And that's what's happening all the time on social media, because you don't often follow people that, I don't know, you hate or you look down on. You often follow people that you look up to. So it's always upward comparisons. Yeah, I, I just find it interesting too. I mean, like uh, just hearing you go through that uh, that analysis, I 
think maybe what also happened with Tony Robbins' book kind of at an early age, and he, instead of saying like comparing, he, he used the term modeling. So if there's a behavior in someone that you really uh, appreciate or you aspire to, to kind of reconstruct, then, then kind of model it, you know, if whether that's someone uh, maybe in exercise or someone in business, whatever the case may be. I find though that now in social too, what's happening is that if you're doing really well and you're kind of that model or you have that status of being someone who maybe people look up to, sometimes like you might feel uh, guilty, which is really weird for me to say, but sometimes you might feel guilty uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, you're in that light or people might, uh, misunderstand what your what your intention is like oh you know very obnoxious or very egotistical or very self-serving you know like whatever the case may be whereas your true intention is really just to put out what you're doing to inspire other people to do the same in whatever journey that they're kind of traveling on mm-hmm. okay so i mean if you're saying that people who are considered what influencers feel guilty for sharing their life i'm saying i'm saying like maybe that might be the case if uh, that comparison is happening, you know, uh, and kind of posing the question to you, like, like what, what would then be the solution to that if you're on the other end of the stick? If you're on the side of the influencer, not the side of the person with low self-esteem. Well, I think that you've already started to do it. You kind of hinted at something which was um, not just sharing my bright, shiny world, but also sharing everything else that goes on in life to, and also so like that's a big that's a big piece because then it's not so weird i don't feel so guilty on the other side if i'm i don't know home on a friday night because oh, wait a second like these people i look up to sometimes don't go out on the weekend like <laughs> this kind of small at a conference that's on yeah, saturday that's, morning yeah exactly but that's especially important to youth right like especially of course i did that stuff like oh all these people went to a party when you're 13 and you're like i wasn't at that party so imagine you can see people you look up to that are also giving you another side of that and the other side is if you do have power i still believe that that comes with responsibility and if your power comes through the ability to influence others thoughts behaviors and actions what we might call an influencer then i think you have a responsibility and that responsibility is, is things like that. Maybe to talk about things like I see a lot of um, like body positivity influencers. So they're using their platform to then highlight another way of being, which I think is important. And that's what you like. That's another thing that you can do is if you have influence, use that influence for to make some change in the world, not just to tell people to buy a certain tea. That can be part of it. Can be how you make your money, sure, but but uh, you have some responsibility as well. That's what's important to me. Yeah, yeah, and also just not to wait to have maybe a certain number of followership to think that you do have influence. I think everybody can have an influence some way. You know, like I don't, I don't consider myself like a great cook, for example. So I might follow like someone who has maybe you know two hundred followers, but is an extremely good you know, cook. And I'm like, oh, that that had an influence on me in terms of what maybe I want to cook today. So that is that bit of inspiration. Um, yeah, the fun thing is that in, in these historical elements of influence, you are actually more likely to be influenced when the group is smaller. So let's say you have an influential figure like, I don't know, like a politician or a musician. This, this, doesn't, this won't shock you when I say it, but it is part of influence. So let's say you have, I don't know, like you're influenced by Drake. You are more likely to be influenced by Drake if, if you're with him in a classroom of 20 than obviously if you're with him in a stadium of 20,000. So what you're saying is actually important. Um, that's why if you do any sort of social marketing, then then the social marketers, the real ones, know that you don't look at follower counts as much as you look at engagement rates. 
Because if you have 500 people and 300 of them are going to do what you say, that is way more important than 5,000 people than 10 people are going to do what you say. That's real influence. Yes, very true. No, that's a really good point. The engagement side, uh, like the comments, the likes, the kind of traction that you're getting. What What are you doing with students, though? Talking about that soft skill portion, what, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I want to I want to focus more so on students because I think it's probably affecting them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you tend to agree, but I, I'm kind of curious to say, like, what what are those mechanisms that you're instilling in them if they come to you with this sort of problem? Yeah, so I have sort of two sides of my life right now that that do converge sometimes. And that's, um, that of course, I have this safe social part of my life that we've been talking about. And then I own a business called Skills Camp, which is soft skills training company. And when I first started my safe social research, I thought that, um, you know, they felt separate to me. They felt like, oh, you know, I've got <laughs> two now businesses that need to need my attention. But upon doing like the actual research in a safe social, I realized, like I was saying earlier, that absolutely without a doubt, what's most important is who you are offline, not the tools themselves. And so then that became, well, step three in my steps towards safe social, which is all available online, is is um, building those offline soft skills. And predominantly the ones that I've mentioned already, which were self-awareness, self-confidence, resilience, mindfulness, and time management. Those are sort of the first five. And so that's where that skills camp element, that's, that's kind of like that beautiful full circle. So now when I do these, um, this, these workshops in, um, in schools, and like you're saying, it affects youth more, that's true. That's just because what's actually causing the problem has always affected youth more. Like comparison, which is causing a huge main issue, is um, is of course like hyperactive in teenagers. They're just at that very normal phase of life where you go outside the home to compare yourself to peers as a means of socialization. Very normal, not new. Again, just being hyper amplified on social media, you're you're more likely to be addicted. You have less things consuming your time. Like it's just it's just of course. So. So now when I do those workshops in schools, we still, I still do need to give them the language to describe their experiences. So we still absolutely talk about what's happening on social media, what it might be releasing in your brain, what a highlight reel is and and that one, or like what social currency is, what, um, how addiction presents itself in this space. So we still give them the language to talk about it, just the same as you would do with other risky behaviors like alcohol or sex or drugs. But then we talk about what can you do about it. And part of that is, well, why don't we do like a mindfulness exercise right now? Mindfulness being that when we did, when I did my interviews with participants, I actually made them go through um, an observation. So they would go through their feed and I would say, and I would watch and I would question what they're doing on their feed. And I would say, no, wait, wait, slow down. Wait, why did you like that? Like, do you actually like this? Like, why do you follow this person? And we would go and you would get answers like, oh, you know, I actually didn't even really look at it or I don't really like this person. And, um, and one of the things that emerged as one of the biggest frustrations for my participants was having wasted time. You know, I'm on Instagram, I've just opened it, it's 60 minutes later, and I didn't even really notice what I was looking at. So they're frustrated that they're not even remembering what they looked at. You fix that with mindfulness. So, so we'll do things like that. We'll do, um, that's what's called mindful scrolling. We'll do, um, you know, resilience exercises, talk about optimism, that kind of stuff. 
but that's just in relationship to safe social skills camp is all soft skills so sometimes if we go into schools there that's that could be like networking relationship building personal branding how you tell your story that kind of stuff yeah that stuff is essential especially in those uh, you know those categories that you're referring to also specifically because i i actually think that there is a lack of that kind of training uh whether it's in schools universities to be honest even even companies like postgrad i just don't think that there is enough of a focus i think you graduate and all of a sudden you're expected to know how to you know network and build relationships and manage a uh you know a network of different people and keeping in touch it's just it's so much that seems to be kind of logical right like you just figure out you know kind of like self-awareness and, and then, you know, you get caught and, and this is maybe why you're referring to the two being combined now, because mm-hmm. then you go on social and, and you see someone who apparently has their life so figured out, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're like, damn, they're so happy, you know, and I'm sitting here and I don't even like, I don't like my job. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, and, and you have all these doubts and answers and that's just going to yeah. spiral you down. So if, if someone comes to you with that, maybe that question around self-awareness, how have you, you know, yeah. positioned your, your solution uh, to actually help them out? Well, that would be entire skills camp curriculum. So um, <laughs> we won't give the whole like. thing. But essentially, we do do self-awareness workshops. We do offer that. And we have done it with companies and we've done it with schools, actually. And okay. if you think about it, like, I find that funny enough, these self-awareness ones are sometimes some of the most mind-blowing for especially adult participants. And I think it has something to do with the fact that when really, as an adult, do you get time to just talk about yourself, like actually invest, yeah. investigate yourself without judgment and unless you're paying for it? Like, you really don't get that much time. Like, and even in a performance review, it's like, oh, what are your goals? It's like, what are your goals in relationship to this role? And so you actually start talk, getting people to think about motivators, what actually motivates them. Is it intrinsic? Is it extrinsic? Um, what are your values? If I, if, you, if I ask you right now, what are your top five values? Would you be able to tell me? Because that's what you should be making life decisions on. What are your stressors is a huge one in the workplace, as you can imagine, and that I kind of already mentioned on social as well. What stresses you out? Is it deadlines? Is it feeling judged? Is it all of these things together? And so we do this activity called stress drivers, where it's kind of like more of a typology type thing, where you answer these questions. It wasn't developed by us. It was developed by this uh, this doctor that I'm forgetting the name of. But um, this stress drivers has you go in through and answer these questions, and you come out on the other side with sort of a um, like a caricature of what might stress this kind of person out, how they might present this kind of stress. And then we use that as an opportunity to dive deeper into what is true and what's not true for themselves. And even just, it's like giving people that magnifying glass. It's like you've opened the shade to themselves and they can start going, yeah, I do do that. I did do that. And, and, or I did have a conflict last year and it, it did sound like, and that's exactly what caused it. This always happens. So you can do this stuff um, on your own. Of course you can. It's just that when, as adults, do you ever really get time, especially if you're a parent, to think, to self-actualize, like to go up Maslow's hierarchy and self-actualize, especially if you have kids, you're doing it for the kids. You're trying to help them figure themselves out. So there's a lot of things you can do, but it usually starts with having an honest conversation about and with yourself. And that can be hard for a lot of people, especially if there's pride in the way. 
Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to ask. Like, mm -hmm. why is that even uh, an issue right now? It kind of reminds me of like your last part. It kind of reminds me of, of yoga in a weird way. Mm -hmm. It's got, uh, you know, essentially like if you work out every day, I used to always have this problem, like not stretching enough. Yeah. You know, and, and when, when you said like, you can do it every day. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And then you're like, but it just helps to be in an environment where right. like, I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's instructor led. You're, you're in that zone. You're stretching for an hour. You just feel good afterwards. Yeah. Uh, it's very true. Like you go on the day to day, you know, there's all sorts of things happening. When are you actually sitting down and writing these things down? Yeah, of course. If I said like this to some parents, they'd be like, as if. Yeah. Some parents would laugh, right? So they need, that structure is a beautiful thing for a lot of people. Theoretically, I could learn everything I learned in my degree through books and internships and stories and taking coffees, but we don't do that. We go through, we go through structured settings and, um, and especially if you have other people around, you can learn from them. That's important in adult learning. So in, in investing that story that they have and, and respecting their experience as part of the learning process, hearing from others' experiences, this is all important. And of course, you're not going to get that alone. Do you think that this, this is new or it just wasn't uh, as, as much talked about before? And, and also my, my second part to this is like, do you think because we have so many options now, maybe due to the to the internet or technology that it's making it more difficult to find what we actually are meant to do like a passion or a purpose hmm. well i think that um with a lot of options they sometimes say that if you go to um if you go to a restaurant with a really huge menu people will actually be overwhelmed and that it's actually in the best interest of the restaurant both financially and for the experience mm -hmm of the guests to reduce the size of their menu which is kind of like mm -hmm. a happy medium and so I can see that if, if you if you think everything is uh, is an option to you honestly I think that's a blessing I think wow how, how lucky for you that you think the world is open to you like that but then you might also you know find yourself not knowing what to choose on the menu sure I, I recommend um, I use this model called Ikigai which is this um, which is this Japanese. Japanese concept that is about finding your purpose. And I do use this actually in some of my workshops and it's four overlapping circles that, that make you answer um, what you're good at, what you love, what you think the world needs and what the world will pay for. And you start putting, you start answering in each of these circles, you know, what you're good at is what you're good at um, necessarily what you love. Those might be different things. And then maybe what I'll try to do, and what seems to be clear when you're looking at someone else's life is, oh, you're good at, I don't know, working with kids and I don't know, you love sports. It's like, okay, well maybe, maybe your hobby should be at a sports camp for kids or like assisting coaching a team. What will the world, what does the world need more of? Maybe they, you know, maybe they decide, I think the world needs more, um, uh, like <laughs> youth programs, <laughs> like this kind of stuff, right? And then what will the world pay for? Well, who's going to pay me to do this? Maybe I'll be an assistant coach on the kids' soccer team. Maybe I'll go to youth groups in the area. Maybe I'm part of a church that has this kind of stuff. Maybe I'll start, you know, I'm an, I'm an accountant. I'm good at accounting, but I love youth and sports. So maybe I'm an accountant now and I try to go work for somewhere like MLSC or again, like, um, or a company like Nike or something like this. So it's about combining these elements. And I think it's a good practice, Ikigai, um, for really for anyone and at multiple points of your life because we change. What has been the most surprising thing you've learned 
from from you know doing all this research and because you brought up a lot of cool things and a lot of it has been you know self uh kind of self-done so i'm just curious like is has there any been anything that really really sparked you that you didn't really know hmm hmm let's see i don't i think i think one um though this could be a whole other you know podcast and i could recommend Second. you to people who are into it but i think people would be surprised at how much is explained by brain science <laughs> like things like um for example the biology of stress people lose their mind when we do the biology of stress for example like what actually happens through evolution in your brain when you're stressed where blood is sent why people might act a certain way and how much of it can be tied to um sort of neurology and um and so that that's been fun to get a little bit deeper into and i recommend everybody like everybody should look into that for themselves as well because you can actually start training the science of yourself to then affect how you behave which is cool but i think that i thought i had a gradual path to everywhere that i am now um there was nothing that happened overnight as i'm sure every successful person knows and so I, I don't think anything came as a shock because you're building slowly at a time. So, you know, the TED talk didn't just hit a million views. It, it hit a million views like exactly. a, a month ago and it was up in 2017. So, you know, it, like, <laughs> is that success? It was just gradual. So what about you? And, and like just on this topic, I mean, you, oh, for me, um, what was the, like the, the biggest thing I've learned maybe or? Yeah, back well, the question. Yeah, you um, in this in this area. I think uh, I think the, I'm 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 kind of surprised at times how, uh, to your point, like how little maybe people invest in themselves versus how much they invest in others. You know, because I think mm -hmm. it's tough sometimes to figure out the the point between self interest or selfishness, and uh, mm -hmm. I think what happens is like you get really caught up in a wave. And then, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm really uh, empathetic to people who get in a place where they really don't know what to do because uh, it's difficult, you know. And, and to your point about, like, you could be good at something. And you see this with a lot of athletes, especially in the UFC. Uh, that's the first thing I thought of. A lot of people who could be good at fighting because they're athletic, like, monsters, you know. But uh, they're just not meant to fight. Like, they don't enjoy it. You know, they really, yeah. really don't. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's just it's, it's, it's interesting when you get to that point. Uh, you know, what to do about it. Because I don't think, honestly, having gone through university, uh, I mean, I had a great support system and I tr I, I spent personally a lot of time on self-development. I just really enjoyed the topic. But I think for a lot of people listening, um, you get to a point sometimes and you just feel lost and it's it's difficult. You can be physically fit. You can be, you can look great on the outside. But if your mental kind of sanity isn't in check, then really all of it is, yeah. doesn't serve you well. And that's Thank scary. Yeah. And you mentioned UFC, and that's um, that's like can be a really great example of that Ikigai model because you look at someone like GSP, who's my favorite, who's also I find yeah. one of the most interesting athletes out there. Him and his uh, trainer, and super smart, yeah. Yeah, and and he'll say he'll say straight up, he's like, I don't like fighting. He's like, I don't want to fight. Uh, maybe used to maybe used to like fighting as a trainer, but now he's like, I I near kill myself for a job. I don't want to do that forever. I do it because I'm good at it and because it's what the world will pay for. It's not what he thinks the world needs more of and it's not what he loves. So you have him on one side and then you can also find an athlete 
probably, you know, probably right next door to him who this is like the love of their life, but they will never be as good. So athletics is um, interesting because if it's the love of your life and you're never going to be as good, then the world might not pay you for it. And suddenly we're back at Ikigai, like that model and, um, and kind of thinking through that model of what you love, what you're good at, what the world will pay for and what the world needs more of is a good place to start. And, and do you feel that, that, that you kind of reached that place uh, or maybe still working towards it? Just kind of curious. Yeah, what you're doing. Right now I feel I've reached that place because, but again, in that talk that I have with that model, it actually goes through how each part of my career so far was adding another circle. And when I was in broadcast journalism and doing the sort of on-air stuff, I realized what I was good at. I started to realize that I was good at storytelling, good at speaking, good at um, engaging an audience, whether that was through camera or whether that was on stage. And But it wasn't what I loved. I didn't love TV. So I, I moved over to social marketing and I was still good at storytelling and I really liked social marketing and clearly the world was going to pay for it. And I was doing that for Bell Media, which was telling things like, you know, working much music, E, M3, and... Um, um, MTV. And I, so I was using what I was good at in a space that I liked, which was social marketing, but the kind of story I was telling was, as much as I love them, watch more Kardashians. And I didn't think that that um, the world needed more of that. And I didn't think that I was using my talents and what I was good at to make the world a better place, even though you could get paid for it. So then I moved back into education and was using what I was good at, what I loved, and what I thought the world needed more of, which was increased access and better quality education. And now with Skills Camp, it's, it's doing all three of those things. And now, of course, the work of my life is getting the world to pay for it. <laughs> I love it. That, that's a great, that's a great kind of uh, model you, you worked out, you know, and it, it really does make sense when you think of those four overlapping bubbles. Mm-hmm. Before we and wrap this up, Bailey, I, I want to ask, for someone in their mid-20s right now listening, um, you know, whether they're working in, in university, in school, what have you learned that you can kind of pass on? Could be one, two, three. What, what are some of those gems? It's, there's so many. But the first one that sticks out to me, especially when I think back to university, is that there's no replacement for hard work. Like sometimes if you really want to get something done, sometimes you're going to miss the party. Sometimes you're going to have to work weekends. Sometimes you're going to have to work evenings, like whatever it is. As it, and Hamza, actually, funny enough, because you had him, you were talking with him. He asks the question, you know, how badly do you want this? And sorry, do you, do you want whatever your goal is? Do you want it more than you want to watch this episode of Game of Thrones? Like, what do you want more? And you have to constantly ask yourself this because discipline is hard. <laughs> So that sticks out to me. Um, I also had this one major moment in my, honestly, in my career where I had a mentor where I was like thinking about jumping from full-time Ryerson and skills camp was being built up on the side and uh, it was built up enough where I was thinking, you know, when do I jump to full-time? And I had, and I had this one mentor that made me walk through what failure would look like. And it was extremely uncomfortable because not to, not, not to boost, or anything, but like I did well in school. I got the kind of jobs that I wanted. And so, um, you know, then it becomes part of your identity. And of course, everybody's afraid of failure, like, especially if it's such a public failure. So you're thinking like, oh, gosh, but then he made me walk through it. And he made me answer the question, you know, what, what's worst case scenario? And I said, um, 
well, that I don't make enough money to pay rent and I have to. And he's like, okay, so then what? And I'm like, then I can't pay rent. And so he's like, okay, where would you go? And I'm like, I guess I'd have to move back in with my dad in Brampton. And he's like, but to me at the time, I was like, absolutely not an option. But then I sat with it for a bit and I was like, he said, wait, so you would have a place to go. Like you'd have a place to sleep. You'd have a place to eat. Um, at least for a little bit to get yourself back on your feet. You're very employable. I think you'd find a job. And I was like, oh, yeah. Wait a second. I was my issue. Like, I was standing in my way. Because mm-hmm. because everything else was like, oh, yeah, I would just go get another job, and I would do it again. So I think that's important, which is if you like to be a prepared, planned person like I do, make yourself uncomfortably walk through worst case scenarios and prepare for them so that you're not, you're not so fearful when, if, when, and if they show up. I love that. I love, I'm actually going to try that exercise. I mean, it's easy to say like, Oh, you know, like what's the worst thing that can, but actually, you know, mentally going through and visualizing what exactly you think would happen might actually simplify it and and make it less daunting than it actually seems. Yeah. And usually what you'll find (laughs) is that, the worst possible case has a lot to do with my pride. That's what I found anyways. Like the worst scenario was what was the image I didn't want out there about me. And it's like, eventually you're just like, man, what am I doing? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Who gives a shit? It, you know, like, it's like what Les Brown says. Try. So yeah, it's always about it's try. public perception or even just like, you know, you don't want to disappoint people who matter a lot to you as well. Yeah. Well, try. my favorite quote on this is uh, don't let other people's opinion of you become your reality. So yeah, or the other one which completely flips it on its head, which is um, you start you stop caring a lot. You stop caring so much about what other people think about you when you realize how little they actually do. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They probably just don't don't even. So if people are not like thinking, oh my gosh, that hair. They're thinking about their own life, like. <laughs> their own worries they have too much already to, to think about i appreciate you though this is uh this was a great talk i felt like we actually this is a kind of good conversation and uh, oh, wow. especially very very timely right now and i'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot of value where can uh whoever's listening where can people connect with you best i guess across the channels so i'm on all channels as at bailey parnell and uh skills camp if you're looking for soft skills training i guess that could be uh that's skillscamp.co or at skillscamphq. I love it. Connect with Bailey, reach out. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. And I can't wait to have you again soon when things transpire in social media and we can uh, Mm -hmm. have the 2.0 conversation. Sounds good.